An event so big it requires two episodes. The best of 1970-1974. And part two of this extravaganza, we take a look at our highly subjective picks for number five to number one on Louder Than Sound. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Hello and welcome back to Louder Than Sound, the podcast where we normally talk about albums that we like and are based around themes. But today we're finishing up a, a project, a long gestating project, that has taken an entire week to complete. It's our fifth through first favorite albums, respectively, me, Jake. And him, Charlie. I'm Charlie. Of 1970 through 1974. Uh, if you listened last week, you heard 10 through 6, and you heard some wild surprises and a lot of white guys. And this week, you'll probably hear a few more surprises. Pretty much, pretty much the same. But definitely yep. some more white guys. Yes. So, uh, Chaz, Which I'm we gonna... apologize for again. Yeah, well, let's apologize again. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, we can do that. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's super subjective. Just our opinions does not resent, right. represent the actual best music of this period. Absolutely not. Album. And it's only what we've been exposed to and are recently trying to correct, probably. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Know, so there you go. All right. You know, that just means that there's more good music for us to hear that's and right. to discover. There's more to explore and discover, yes. Right, right. All right, I'm going to kick things off with number five with one of my favorite white guy musicians, Brian Eno with Here Comes the Warm Jets. Oh, uh, here they come. Those are some nice warm jets. Oh, shoot. I screwed it up already because we're supposed messed. to do honorable mentions first. Well, all right. That's we got not the title. Honorable. We're just going to hang on to that for a second and go to my honorable mention instead, which is closely related because it also features Brian Eno. <laughs> it's Roxy Music's For Your Pleasure. Okay. So this is Roxy Music's second album and their last album with Eno before Fights with Brian Ferry kind of... Sent him off on his own. Got out of control. Uh, I don't know. He got yeah. out of control. But uh, I never, I'm not really interested in Rocky, Roxy music after Eno left. It just didn't, I don't know. I never got into them, even though they're probably the most celebrated albums are for like Country Life or for later on. But whatever. Yeah. And this one is uh, For Your Pleasure is a delightfully weird glam rock adventure. Jake. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. <laughs> yeah, Going delightful. back to my actual pick for number five, Brian Eno's Here Come the Worm Jets. This is his first solo album after leaving Roxy Music under contentious circumstances. Mm, very. Just mm-hmm. like I'm about to leave this podcast before it's done under contentious, under contentious circumstances. Absolutely. In related news, uh, this one has sort of a diss track against Brian Ferry. Mm-mm. It's called Dead Things Don't Talk. Um, and he Spicy. at one point does like a really kind of a comical uh, parody of Brian Ferry's singing style. <laughs> it's pretty uh it's kind of like i don't know if this 
like the lyrics come across as a diss track also but the lyrics were apparently almost entirely written by saying nonsense songs along with the music and then slowing them slowly making them into the words it was that style so it's not supposed to be any like real meaning but i swear the song is just well, that's, Brian. that's just freudian as hell then is what well, whatever <laughs> it's also it's made all the sweeter by the fact that this album features every other member of roxy music except for Brian wow Fury. is that true <laughs> some, i didn't know that at some point on the album they're all there and you know, at least one or two of them on that song. So you know, wow. whatever. Wow, that's spicy. That's real spicy. I know, I know, I know. It is. It is. <laughs> uh, uh, this music is weird because Brian Eno was all about the weird, and he was all about the concepts for different things and the way they came up with stuff. Very reliant his whole career on accidents and trying to discover, like trying to set up situations where interesting accidents can come about. Which is he's not the only artist to do that, but I mean, he's more one of the more prominent musicians to do that. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so music was made from a bunch of jams and smaller ideas, then he cut it up and mixed it into songs. Um, I, I saw at least one interview with uh, one of the one of the musicians who said like he didn't even recognize what he played by the time they actually got onto the album. Wow. Because he just cut it up and moved it around he a little bit. Chopped it up, man. So interesting ways of doing some music there. And this one, unlike a lot of his later, you know, this is not ambient in the slightest. This is a pretty uh, it's a pretty rocking album too. There's a lot going on and there's a lot of energy. Which yeah. is uh, it's interesting because he stopped doing that shortly afterwards, the next few years. And he didn't do anything else ever again. Well, Jake, come on! <laughs> so for producing like you know, half half of the greatest albums of the and making really on. great ambient music and making lots of really great ambient. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jake. Yeah. Five. I have a feeling it's not Brian Eno. It's not, but I do have that album, and I did I did buy it, uh, you know, in high school when I was uh, classic mm. rock and nerd. I like it. I like it. Mm. Yeah, I don't listen Good. to it very much anymore, but I like it a lot. Well, you know, give it a, give it another try. But it's not my honorable mention. Mine is one that you mentioned last episode, so go <gasps> on back there. It's Pink Floyd's the who? Dark oh. Side of the Moon. Why Dang. don't I have this on my real list, Chaz? I can't I even know. really believe it myself. I did the whole dance with this album. I fell in love yeah. with it as a teenage boy, like so many millions yep. of teenage boys. I got yep. my mind just blown right out of my head by it. Mm-hmm. I listened to it on repeat for years. Did I, that? Yep. I yep. smoked grass to it. I Didn't even I even watched it simultaneously with The Wizard of Oz twice. Yeah, I did that at least twice. Maybe I think did I did we do it that together? We did it together one time. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. Yeah. And Um, then one time in college, too. And I actually thought it was, like, relatively freaky how well it matched up, even though I don't think that's why it was written. But I thought it was... Yeah, I know. I thought it was pretty... It gets less so as it goes on. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I've done that for so long. That was really fun, though. I have great memories of that. Um, It's kind of hard to imagine this list without it. Um, But I think what you spoke about last uh, episode is what I'm about to say, which is it just for whatever reason has not endured for me. And I don't I don't actually know why. Like, I think it's brilliant. I think Mm -hmm. it's incredible. But I never listen to the dark side of the moon anymore. No, I don't listen to it often either. Like almost ever. Especially especially for this, you know, for this time period. I've listened to so many other albums. So Uh, on the flip side of that equation speaking of music that is somewhat surprisingly endured for me that I loved as a teenager, it's The Doors and their album, L.A. Woman. (laughs) (laughs) So my first early mad teenage loves were in this order. Led Zeppelin, Pearl Jam, and The Doors. These were my first three. Pink Floyd was probably not that long afterwards. I was like stupidly into The Doors. Um, And in particular, two of their songs which at the time I didn't know which albums they were from because 
me and my friends all had the best of the Doors comp from the sure. 90s. Every single one of us had that one. That's <laughs> It was actually like one of their albums. Uh, so I, uh, I ranked just, you know, kind of not, not quite in order, but it got me thinking about best of compilations and how that used to be like a, a real entrance. Um, yeah. Or the end all be all really of like, you just had their best music. And then there was like all these bands from the sixties and seventies. So my favorite were the best of the doors, Tom Petty and the heartbreakers greatest hits. He wasn't done yet when he released that one. Uh, changes by Bowie, the first one. Love that. Right. One. Change, changes now, Bowie. Changes Bowie. Changes uh, Bowie. Yeah, the one from many 90- variations. It was like from Bowie. the seventies. It wasn't even changes Bowie. Changes Bowie. Well, yeah. it would be changes one Bowie then. Whatever it was, Jazz. I don't know. Skeletons uh, in the Closet by the Grateful Dead and the Ultimate Experience, the best of Jimi Hendrix. Stand on me. He uh, released all of his albums in the sixties, or Jimi Hendrix would definitely be on this list. Uh, the two songs that blew my mind from The Doors over and over again, even to this day, are both on L.A. Woman. That's the song L.A. Woman and Riders on the Storm. Uh, okay. It almost wouldn't matter what else was on it because I love those songs so much. Uh, but they're all good and they're fine. Even their pop hit from that album was Jake. fun. Yeah, what? Oh, it was a live album. Never mind. I, was gonna say, I thought I thought Jimmy Addicts had one in the 70s. It's Band of Gypsies, which yeah, is yeah. a live album. It's Band Never of Gypsies. Never mind. Continue which on. Which is great, but not, not, not enough to... I'm done interrupting you for right now. Thank you. Well, you corrected I'll me about the later. Beatles last week, which I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe I got owned on that, but I got I to gotta, I gotta admit. Uh, so their pop hit from, from this one was fun. They, they usually had like one or two like real pop hits the Doors did. They were super popular. Uh, Love Her Madly. That's a fun one. Um, other good songs are "Lamerica," "Been Down So Long," and "The Wasp," uh, "Texas Radio," and "The Big Beat." So those those all fill it out nicely. Um, I found it on vinyl with the cool yellow cellophane cover too. Um, I paid you mm-hmm. know, like twenty twenty five bucks for it. I couldn't be happier. It's so much fun to slide <laughs> out of there. Um, and it reminds me of a bonus honorable mention since that didn't take too long because there's two monolithic songs on here. One of my other honorable mentions was Elton John's "Madman Across the Water." which has okay. three wonderful monolithic songs, um, which is, uh, oh, now I'm going to forget what they are. Levon, uh, Mad Men Across the Water, and the first song, which is like my favorite Elton John song. It's everyone's favorite Elton John song, and I can't remember what it is now. Mad Men Across the Water. Yeah, hit, hit us with it. Tiny Dancer. Tiny Dancer. But I almost put it on my top ten in my honorable mentions, but, like, those are the only good songs on it. And Side mm. 2 has, like, this, one of those weird, like, uh, songs uh, empathizing with the Native American plight. So a lot of white guys were doing that back then. And in they, Indian Sunset, yeah, I Yeah, they kind of rang false, or maybe they ended up ringing false or whatever. There's some okay, there's, like, one okay song at the end, but I couldn't in good conscience put it on there. But okay. that was number five for me, The Doors, L.A. Woman. Number four, honorable mention, first of all, Tom Waits, Closing Time, 1973. Wow. Hey, we did an episode about this hey, album. that was our, our very first, first episode. episode on I remember that. Sound. Remember that? Go back and uh, listen to that one. for more Tom info. Tom Waits would go on to greater heights than Closing Time, but mm-hmm. it's still a good one, and I still like it a lot. It owns a special place in my heart. Wonderful. It's, uh, its connection to our main album is that this one is a melancholy album. It's a late-night, you know, alcohol-soaked melancholy album you oh, know it sure that, is. more like more like country western I and mean, it doesn't sound like country western but you know in that in that feeling of the late night alcohol, the sentiments so, are similar the sentiments are similar. heartbroken just uh, utterly heartbroken but it takes us to my actual number four pick which rather than being melancholy is just straight up clinically depressed 
and that would be uh, Nick Drake's Pink Moon. Oh yeah, 1972. yeah, yeah. I do this one. A very stripped down and sad album. I love this album. It's yeah, it's entirely voiced acoustic guitar, except for some very light piano on the first song, and that's it. Um, melodic and melancholy. In a lot of ways, it stands apart from other albums on this list and from albums that I like in general because it is so stripped down and simple and acoustic, and that's much more your territory in general. But totally. I do have a liking for some of these depressing albums sometimes. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of Elliot Smith, yep. who was a big fan of Nick Drake, and I, I think that's probably how I came to Nick Drake was through oh, Elliot Smith. Oh, I, I see. I'm not positive about that, but I think that's how I got, I got back to him because I have all of Nick Drake's albums too, and I like them a lot. But this one is just, uh, it's yeah. just his best one. And it was not, it was recorded as his last album. He uh, died of an overdose of antidepressants not long about this, long after this. Yeah, trying to battle which that may or may not may or may not have been suicide. It's not clear. Mm, mm-hmm. But um, he was certainly in that place at, yeah. at the very Right. But uh, it's it's an impressive album. It's an amazing album. And the fact that he he gets so much, there's so much out of it. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a stripped down album, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You just like, it's one of those things, I think I listened to it. A few times before I even realized, before it occurred to me, there's nothing else on this album. There's no bass. There's no drums. Nothing. There's no nothing. It's just the piano and the title and the opening title. Track and isn't it like isn't it like 28 minutes long or something? It's like yeah, it's not very really long. Show. I think it's a, I think it's under a half an hour. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, but it's uh, it earns the place. It's well, well worth it. It's also the only one of his of his few albums that isn't like larded up with uh, post production yeah. like strings yeah. and drums like they tried to really yeah, make yeah. him leonard cohen brighter, used to complain brighter about this later too. that one i can barely listen to because he got so much extra it's crap yeah on it. it's really it's really bad i mean the songs five, are great is it leaves, what is the i forgot the first five leaves left five, yeah this is something <laughs> <laughs> that one i still really like that one i still listen to really but well yeah. the songs well, are five, great i was right five five leaves left that's what i was thinking that i didn't say it. Anyway, he was a writer later i don't i don't listen to it. i can't do it no he was a wonderful songwriter but yeah, uh, he yeah. got he got chewed up in that studio system sometimes. Yeah, he needs like a Nick Drake naked type thing. Like yeah, for sure. Naked. They must exist, right? They must have that somewhere. I don't know. I'll look it up later. Hey guys, come on. Hey, come hey, on. over to you, Jake. In number the meantime, four. let's talk about number four. And my honorable mention is another one you talked about last time, which is the Velvet Underground's Loaded. <laughs> it is certainly. Oh, was- wait. And we got like, is it is just? Do we just have two, or do we have three that overlap so far? Uh, two. Camera. It's just the, the last two honorable mentions. We have not okay. had. Well, I thought we, there was one. Uh, damn it, we have not on. had two that have made our list at the same time, and I'm starting. I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for possibly who's next or Nick Drake's Pink Moon okay. to show up on your own. All right. Uh, well, we'll see what awesome. happens. That's why it's exciting. Uh, this album is just to me is a straight up glorious mess, and I love it, but I can't quite get myself to respect it enough to take it all that seriously. Like, the band hated each other, but we're also trying to make a serious pop play at the same time, which is a fun mm-hmm. fun combination for a band. Uh, you could just tell they're about to break up and fall apart, all you know. Yep. But while at the same time trying to get away That's with true. what they were trying to do before and, like, trying to get, trying to make hits. Uh, but there's also some absolute all-time classics, like Sweet Jane, yep. Rock and Roll, and Oh Sweet Nothing. Uh, but just for me, just as many disparate head scratchers where they were clearly taking turns in the studio as to avoid each other and not have to see each other. <laughs> um, and whatever the hell Lou Reed was doing as a singer is simply delightful and weird. <laughs> the thing that like kind of, I don't know, even know how to describe it, that ooh, 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 just about five years old and like, come on, have it at all, watch me now, watch me now. <laughs> It makes me laugh. It's so funny. Ooh. Ooh. When they get home from work. 
Uh, it's just too messy to make the, the cut here for me. Um, but speaking of semi-urgent attempts to craft pop hits, my real number four album is Van Morrison's Moon Dance. Ooh, Moon Dance. After the stressful but brilliant Astro Weeks came and went with a whimper in 1968, later to be recognized as the greatest rock album ever. That was much, much later. At the time, it was just a bomb. Uh, after that, Van the Man needed a darn hit, so he decamped to Woodstock, New York, um, apparently tried to get Bob Dylan to teach him how to write some good songs. I don't know if he ever did or not. And made some really good songs, while also uh, making a masterwork of an album that sounds of a piece and is truly loaded. Right, Chaz? No? I, loaded yeah, like the Velvet Underground? The, you see, you see there, how that yeah. can go together? Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. hits class, slash classics are Moondance, Crazy Love, Caravan, and Into the Mystic. But this is the rare album where I love every song. Um, actually, my my least favorite is probably Moondance, which was a huge hit. That was like a number two hit or something. I don't know. I just never, there was something a little, I can, I, I don't know if I could tell. You prefer it, Dancing in the Sun. I mean, <laughs> what can we say? Yeah, I don't, I don't. Okay. Moondance, who right. does that? Who does that? No, no reason to nice. be ashamed of that. I don't know. It's probably be a little higher, even though it's number four on my list, just because you can, I can just put it on any old time. It's totally listenable. It brings me a lot of joy. Um, other great songs are And It Stone Me, Come Running, These Dreams of You, Everyone, which you'll recognize from the Royal Tenenbaums, that was, uh, Everyone, 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 Everyone. <laughs> With the harpsichord and stuff? No? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Not when you sing it anyway. Whatever. I'm not Van Morrison, okay? And, of course, the closer, Glad Tidings. Um, it's a great combo of soul, acoustic guitar, jazz and rock and it's a total blast and that's why it's number four for me what you got for number three number three uh let's kick it with the honorable mention fela kuti aphrodisiac yes oh good for you so we're both we're both fans of fela kuti i'm a huge I mean, fan how, of fela how can kuti. you not yeah think of men who are not white no <laughs> fela kuti is just like oh man he's just awesome men who are revolutionary like his, his, i know one of his best he has a best of comp that's like it's something a black president or something yeah it, anyway he's awesome he's in he's yeah he's a guy in charge well did you know that um, in the in the country he lived in in africa he had his own sovereign compound where they were yes, their albums. yes they did yeah there's some there's <laughs> some, some not so great things about, i mean he had like 20 wives or something yeah oh yeah he's got there's kids some all not over so the place. cool yeah. stuff about fela kuti no, but no. all all of his music is super cool it is so um my family i, I don't know this is not really like his best known album um, I came to this one through Brian Eno and David Byrne because uh, the Talking Heads were highly influenced by Fela Kuti when they made Remain in Light. Right. And they got that, like, they got pointed in that direction by Brian Eno, who produced it and produced their two previous albums. And apparently Aphrodisiac was the album that uh, Fela Kuti played for David Byrne one night that, you know, got him really in the, excited about this going in this direction. And so I had already listened to a few different Fela Kuti albums and then I was like, you know, trying to figure out what's the next one to try. And I'd read that somewhere. And so I'm like, okay, we're going to go for this one. And it actually became my favorite of theirs. Yeah. Uh, my family gets down on this album in a huge way. I put this one on. Oh, yeah. Every butt starts to start moving. Mm, they just start shaking. shaking around. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's great. All right. But that album has 
we try to make connections between our honorable mentions and our best ups, and sometimes they're a little tenuous. And this one's <laughs> one of those times when it's a little tenuous. Well, who, who could you compare to Fela Kuti? Yeah, really? I don't know. the connection is pretty is pretty weak here. But they both did uh, live in foreign countries and speak different languages. So that is very tenuous. Very. So we'll tenuous. go with Serge Gainsbourg's Histoire de Melody Nelson. Oh wow, wow, deep. Cut. I love this album, and we'll get into the problems of this one too. But oh yeah. Serge Gainsbourg, we did an episode about a different album by him and Bridget Bardot. But he's totally, it's just a dirty old man, which, like, and a dirty young man. He's a dirty, he's a dirty, every age man. He's a dirty, dirty middle aged man at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Doesn't make it any better. Frequently makes me glad that my French isn't very good. Like, you know, like I've got some polite French, but when singing, I can't understand a lot of what they're saying. But the music on this album is just amazing. It's these sweeping strings. Which uh, Beck stole wholesale for Sea Change, oh, by the way. Completely <laughs> straightforward, right up. Yep. Um, but and this is this is a concept album, uh, and it's kind of a Lolita esque story. Mm. <laughs> and like Lolita, which I read you know some years ago and thought was a well written book that I didn't actually want to keep reading because it's just you know you just get so disgusted by it. Uh, the lyrics are you know similar to that, and so I I don't think I've ever actually. I, I purposely not like looked at a full translation of all these lyrics because I love the album so much and I like the lyrics. I'm like keeping a purposely blind eye. Yeah. Now with all that in mind, I don't know at a lot of times if he's actually like encouraging this or condoning it. Right. But other times it feels like he is, especially yeah. later on. He got really drunk all the time when he was really an alcoholic and really getting bad, but he wasn't at that point at this point. I think it is more like Lolita where it's more Nabokov of a satire or right. Nabokov wasn't saying, Hey everybody, you know, right. Do this sleep with a teenage girl like he's not saying that at all he's presenting a character who is in this place and doing this thing and i think serge gainsbourg is doing the same thing okay um and so in that way like i don't i don't think he's encouraging this but it is like because so a lot of his music is so sexual too that you just you can't keep your brain totally there but but the music jake the music, <laughs> the music. but the music was just so music. grand it is so grand <laughs> and again i don't know if there's actually any major problem that anything that's actually problematic it's subject matter i'm not interested in listening to personally yeah but i don't think is actually like saying hey everybody let's do this but then again he did you know much later in life uh release a single called lemon incest mm. with his actual like real life daughter Shirley gainsbury so mm. i don't know what's going on with that guy mm-hmm. he just like to shock people too and really mess with them a little bit yeah which he did. So, which he did. <laughs> which he did. There you go. <laughs> this is like a hard one to defend for my number three slot. I know. Place. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. I do. I do. I All do. Right. All right. Number three, Jay. All right. So my honorable mention for number three actually didn't come out in this time period because uh, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie reminded me slash taught me last episode that the Beatles' Abbey Road actually came out in late, or, you know, almost late, 1969. Yeah, it's like fall. It's, it's September. <laughs> it's not December 31st or anything like no, that. No, no. Um, so I'll just spend a minute talking about Abbey Road um, on this podcast. Uh, the you just switch it over to Let It Be Real quick, which actually did <laughs> nah, come out. Nah, we already talked about that. But Let's was talk... recorded before Abbey Road? Let's talk about Abbey Road. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I, Abbey Road is probably my favorite Beatles song or album, except for, hmm. except for Octopus's Garden, which yeah is fun. But come yeah. on, man, what do, what do they do? Like right in the the middle of all these naughty, angry Lennon tracks, bumping into the sweet like, McCartney hey, ones. Yeah, we'll, and the we'll song let Ringo cycles. win this one time. We'll, we'll play yeah. one song he wrote real yeah. quick. Yeah, sure, Just Ringo. What's the harm, Ringo? It's a it's a happy sounding bad LSD trip for children. Sure, sure, it ruins everything. But fine, Ringo, go ahead. 
do your thing, Ringo. Um, and speaking of Beatles, my real number three is George Harrison's All Things Must Pass, mm. which mm-hmm. thankfully did come out during this time period in 1970. <laughs> Uh, they wouldn't let George fulfill his prodigious potential in the Beatles. Out of, no. the, out of the 10 or so songwriters who were better than Harrison at that time at rock and roll, two of them were in his band. And they, <laughs> they famously... Uh, neither, neither one of them was Ringo, everybody. Just want to make sure... No, that's... we're talking we're talking not Ringo and not George. So that's the other two, whatever their names were. Uh <laughs> They were, they were in his band, and they famously told The Quiet One, which is George, to shut up and keep butting out already. Why don't you shut up, Quiet One? Get out of here. So when they get two songs per album for our last four albums, and that's it. That's right. That's right. And they were like the best, uh, you know, some of the best album uh, songs on each album. Yeah, they're good songs. Uh, so when they broke up, our friend George took all those songs that they wouldn't let him sing, called up Phil Spector. Hey, Phil, you're not a murderer yet. Come on over to my place. <laughs> And you're they, just kind of weird. You're not actually dangerous. Yeah, you're a weird guy. The wigs weren't a thing yet, but you're still weirdo. Uh, they made a Stone Cold triple album classic together. Um, it's mostly just a double LP because the final LP is made up of silly band jams and stuff like that. Like one's called Pepperoni Pizza Jam or something like that. They're just... Thank, thanks for the pepperoni. I'm looking at the thanks, list. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for the, the pepperoni. pepperoni. Yeah. Um, and so that's like one of these things that has gotten kind of lost in translation with uh, with with uh, the music industry moving out of vinyl, is that when you got that, you know, they say like, oh, the best triple album ever. It's got to be George Harrison's All Things Must Pass. But if you bought the vinyl version, you know that that was basically a bonus disc. You didn't ever have to play mm. it or mm-hmm. include it in the thing. Like, you yeah. knew it was a double LP. But now on these, you know, the streaming lists and Spotify and stuff like that, it just... It just piles them all um, together. Mm-hmm. So um, he had a number one hit with My Sweet Lord and filled the rest with a monolithic embarrassment of the Wall of Sound. Like, this is the Wall of Soundiest Wall of Sound record I think there is. It was <laughs> so big. It was so regal and stately and just, like, how they crammed all of that stuff in there and still made it coherent um, is pretty incredible. Um, it's got a Dylan classic on it, uh, If Not For You, which is one of my favorite songs on the album. And Ringo Starr, you know, we're slandering him, but he drums all over this bad boy. And it but should be noticed. He drums on the early. He drums on uh, Yoko, uh, Plastic Yoko, and yeah, Plastic Ono Band. Yeah, that one. Yeah, he was he was the most friendly with all the rest of the Beatles by right. far. And uh, George Harrison kept working with Lennon too. Yeah, he did. Basically, like, Paul and John. That was the big rift. That was right the there. big yeah. That that was the big rift. And I think the others were just sick of the whole the whole thing. Yeah. They just didn't want to be in the Beatles. Nobody wanted to be in the Beatles anymore. So uh, George Harrison. I did. I, would be in the Beatles. <laughs> I take some I'm of just, that. I'm just throwing that out. You know. Yeah. In case anyone cares. <laughs> uh, well, you could still be with two two of the Beatles. Ringo and Paul. Hey, you guys want to get through the Beatles? You know. The Beatles you know. With, you know, with you know, me for some reason. <laughs> you know who both released albums this year. Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. Did Ringo? I know Paul. He did. did. <laughs> I love Ringo so much. He's just not a good. He's just not a good songwriter or album maker. Great drummer though, and he's hilarious. All right, what's your number two? He's good at uh, driving anthropomorphic toy trains too. <laughs> Thank you, Thomas the Tank Engine. Thanks, Thomas the Tank. Hey, number two, honorable mention goes to Harmonia with Music von Harmonia. Ooh. 
Wow. Which was just the band Cluster along with the guy from Noi to make a <laughs> super group? I don't know. A super uh, group? That, so- that sounds quite a bit like Cluster from the same period because, sure. you know, two-thirds Cluster, but also really good. It's their first album. It's pretty good. It's not as good as Deluxe, which was the follow-up, which is now from this time period. Oh, too but bad. Too quite- bad. And it just segues so perfectly into my actual number two pick, which is Clusters, Sucker's Night, from 1974 also. Which, hey, we did an episode about this one. This couple yes, of them come we up here. did. That was a, and, uh, that was a fun so one. So it's full, if you didn't listen to that one, or if you forgot, because that was an earlier episode, it's uh, it's filled to the brim with warm scents. We use the word warm a lot in that episode. A lot. They're very so warm. warm. So very warm. Very warm. Surprisingly warm. Surprisingly warm. Especially for, for the, of period. the period. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, it's instrumental and vaguely pop. It's shorter, uh, shorter songs. It's not like you know full side long extravaganzas. They're all you know three, four, five minute poppy songs, slightly. Uh, recorded in a commune like rural community mm-hmm. where they're hanging out and making mm-hmm. music, and that was it. In rooms um, full also, of if you listen to the episode, you know that Jake does not like this album very much. Yeah, yeah. I could take, I could, I could take it or leave it, but mostly leave it. How's that? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fine. But I. You love it. It's number two on this list. I know. I know. I know. This is one of those albums, uh, I don't know if you ever, like, you know, go on your iTunes. It's not iTunes anymore. It's Apple Music. Just call that now. And, like, look at what tracks you've listened to the most. Do you ever do that, Jake? I actually actually never listen to music, so I have no occasion to go on Apple Music, but I I guess I understand Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can tell sometimes, like, where I was in my life when I got a certain album. So, like, this album I got while I was working on my master's degree, and barely working and just like shoving it. I did a two years master's degree in one year because I just went overboard and crazy. But that means I was listen- basically listening to music on my computer exclusively. So albums I was really into that I got at the time got a million listens on there because yeah. I wasn't listening to the CD player. I wasn't listening to them on the car. I was just listening to it there and that's Whenever it. you listen to music, Clusters, Zuckerzite is one of my, like, I think it's probably the album that's the most. There's wow. a couple songs yeah. that maybe are above it, but it's it's the album that's the most because it just hit that period just right of me just, you know. <laughs> Can't get, couldn't get enough of it listening to it on repeat and sometimes literally. It basically but, said uh, it basically said to you like Yeah, basically like that, but for like thirty seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know they did all that stuff with their mouths? It's a controversy. They never actually played the synths. It wasn't actually synthesizer. No, synthesizer didn't exist then. It's crazy. It's an acapella it's an acapella It's like uh, <laughs> Oh man did not land on the moon in sixty nine. Synthesizer nah, didn't not. exist in nineteen seventy four. Yeah. No. Same thing for Bob O'Reilly. Yeah. <laughs> bow, bow, guitars existed. Go bow, bow, bow. Drums they just got the pseudo this a uh, proto beatboxer to come in and just lay it all down. <laughs> it's <so> crazy. That'd <laughs> be nuts. Have you ever heard those guys speaking of beatboxing? I know we talk about that a lot on this podcast. Do uh, you ever heard those guys that sing the lyrics to a rap song but also beatbox the beat at the same time, and then they slow no. it down to show you how they do it? No. Go do that. It's crazy. Okay. I will. Well, yeah. see you later, everybody. Bye. See you next time on Beatboxing Sound. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me hanging on just what my number one is. Jake is probably going to easily figure it out. Hey, give us your number two. Oh, man. Number two is uh, honorable mention. Speaking of Beatles, because we haven't done that yet in the last two episodes. You know, the Beatles and Bob Dylan and maybe a couple others like owned the 60s. The Beatles did not own the mm-hmm. 70s, but here we are because of, I'm no. an idiot talking about them so much. But my honorable mention is both John Lennon's Plastic Ono Band and Imagine. 
imagine doing you them together. Yeah, All right, yeah. I'm doing yeah. them together. I mean, they're not yeah. really of a piece, but they came out so close to each other. Um, yeah. They also involve Phil Spector and Ringo Starr, as we've discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, I love I both. Think, I don't think Ringo's on Imagine. Is George he not on? No, but he's on Plastic. Okay, all right. Yeah, he's on Plastic. Oh, I meant both of them. Between the two, okay. they both involve okay. Phil Spector yeah. and Ringo yeah. Starr. You know, I mean, they're both. It's just yeah. a. George Harrison's on. George Harrison's on Imagine. Totally. Totally. I think he plays on uh, How Do You Sleep, too. That the sick, it's like a yeah. sick burn. That one's like over. That one's like makes me a little. It's the sickest burn of all. Well, it's a sick, it's like a sweet, sick bird where you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. Until you get to the chorus of how do you sleep like that? Too far, man. Too far. All right. Come on, John. Just too far. Too far. I don't know. I mean, the way that he like changed the perception of who the Beatles were and their history, like as individuals, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It might be unfair, uh, but you know, Paul was off with wings being just a dork by this point. (laughs) Sure, but. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of John Lennon, I love both of these albums, but John's propensity for singing about Yoko on each of them leaves me embarrassed. Uh, it's not her or By them. Name. By name. By name. It's just the concept. It's it's just oh, that concept. Yoko. What That song is fantastic, too. I love that song. song. Um what really peeves me off good is that Oh Yoko from Imagine is a, it's, that's a righteous jam. It's so fun. Yeah. But yeah. for me, it's it's not. There's a ruined, there's a but... demo on the two disc edition, which is really quite good. I like it a lot. Oh, awesome! Mm-hmm. I'll have to listen to that. Um, I'd say Imagine is my favorite of the two because of the disc track that we just talked about, and then mm-hmm. that song "Don't Want to Be a Soldier." Yeah, is, uh, and all that stuff. Truth, Jake. Yeah, yeah well, that's not oh, that's not my favorite song on that album. I know it's you yours. You are wrong. It no, is I'm your favorite. Wrong. I'm not it's wrong. your favorite. And Plastic Ono Band is just a raw daddy. That thing's crazy. Yeah, I do is. love that album. Um, it's too bad because it took Yoko to actually unlock John's solo potential, but then he wouldn't mm-hmm. shut up about it and it got weird. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and speaking of my first honorable mention that doesn't lead much into my actual choice, except for the time period and the fact that the Beatles and this upcoming band were engaged in a deathless battle over who was the biggest and rockinest band in the world. It's the Rolling, Rolling Stones. Stones with sticky fingers. Uh, personally, so not not exile on mainstream. No, no, not exile on mainstream. I like Sticky Fingers better, and it took me it took me a little while to you know figure out which I liked better. But this one, mm-hmm. maybe because I heard this one first, I don't know. Uh, I like the Beatles more than the Stones on Balance, but that might be because the Beatles quit the Quitters, and the Stones yeah. were such capitalists and narcissists that they haven't quit yet to this day. They're still they still together. haven't quit. They're chasing trends. They're punishing their fans with bad albums forever and ever more. They have lasted 50 years longer than the Beatles. 50. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And you think think they don't hate each other? They do. They hate each other. (laughs) They do. I can't believe Keith. Can we just talk about the fact that Keith Richards is still alive? Can we talk about the fact? That is amazing in itself. Can we talk about the fact? Can we talk about the fact? Jordan Harrison. How did he do that? Can we talk about how Keith Richards spent like maybe half of his acclaimed autobiography ragging on Mick Jagger, and then they just go and <laughs> go on tour together? They're like, "Eh, we're both ninety. Who cares? Uh, whatever. Whatever. Let's go make some money. Let's go make another hundo hundo hey, mill. Let's go make some money. Hey, hey, you can't take it with you, right? Who cares? Let's go." <laughs> Uh, but the Stones also had the good sense to seize the opportunity in the early 70s to finally get a leg up since the Beatles were done and finished and they finally separated themselves by leaving the Beatles as the best pop rock band ever 
and emerging as the best rock rock band ever. Like the mm. Beatles could not rock like the Stones. I as no. much as I love the Beatles more like they don't rock. No. And the early seventies like anyway. belonged to the Stones. So um, they had two albums that I considered for the list, this one, and as you said, Exile on Main Street. Exile has more to love as a double album, but Sticky Fingers is more all killer, no filler. Just front to back bangers. Highlights amongst the highlights are the songs Sway, Wild Horses, Can't You Hear Me Knockin', Bitch, Dead Flowers, and Moonlight Mile. And the only one I would even kind of leave off is the opener, Brown Sugar, for reasons that we have already alluded to. Mm, problematic. Podcast. It is problematic, even though it's... it's so we in, got Rod Stewart, it's we got Serge Gainsbourg, <laughs> and now we got the Rolling Stones. And that was a huge... Come on, guys. That was a Stop. huge hit. Brown Just Sugar Stop. was like the hit off that album. Um, it always sounded icky to me, even in high school. Yeah. I always, yep. the alarm bells always went off on that one. Um, just the objectification of everything and sort of what it, what it stood for. Um, it, it just gets ickier with the changing times, but I don't know if that one will ever be canceled. It's, it's too big of a hit. Um, yeah. it's pretty rocking. Other than that though, um, give me that controversial album cover with the jeans and the real zipper on vinyl. Um, whichever <laughs> see it in the record store, I will get, even though it makes me wildly uncomfortable, much like the song. <laughs> brown sugar uh so yeah that's sticky figures i i put that on last week um not because i i knew it was going to be on the list somewhere but i was like how high is this going to climb it climbed to number two Chaz. it's awesome so here we are the number one album number one let's do an honorable mention first let's do it the honorable mention is david bowie's aladdin scene from 1973 wow Uh, i can tell what's coming here Oh yeah, it's clear. He's the only <laughs> artist happening. to make to make my honorable mentions or list in any way more than once. Yeah, and uh, he's this is my second time entering. Diamond Dogs almost became an honorable mention also. Wow, didn't quite make the cut. Um, Latin scene. It's impossible to not just mention what my actual number one is because these two albums are so closely related. Yeah, my number one is David Bowie, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust from Mars from 1972. Aladdin Scene is the immediate follow-up. It was referred to, I think, at the time as Ziggy Stardust Goes to America. Because mm. he, he uh, wrote it uh, primarily while touring America off of Ziggy Stardust. So it's an immediate follow-up. He's still very much in the same character, though. He started calling that character Aladdin Scene. They're the same thing, basically. Let's just be honest. Let's just, come on, guys. Hey, everybody. You know, if he didn't change his haircut, then he didn't change character. Can we be honest about that? <laughs> Can we please? But that yeah, means that Bowie is on my actual list twice and then another album on the honorable mention. Um, Latin Saint probably rocks a little bit harder than Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy Stardust is one of those albums that I think we, we think of it being a heavier album than it actually is. Um, it actually is closer when you listen to like Hunky Dory, which immediately preceded Ziggy Stardust. If you listen to those two back to back, there's a lot more in common than you think, including one of the tracks that actually was recorded in, during the Hunky Dory sessions and ended up on Ziggy Stardust oh. because this album's recorded six months apart from each other. Yes. Um, so it's probably not a surprise to anyone who's listened to uh, our other podcast, Bowie vs. Dylan, that <laughs> I love me some sweet, sweet Bowie. You know, I was, and, I'm, a, uh, I'm a little surprised. His... I didn't know that that was like your fa- you know, favorite of even the early 70s records. I'm a little surprised it, it well, got I, this Well, I was high. a little surprised by it too, but I started thinking about it, and there's only so many albums I would give a perfect score to, and mm-hmm. I want to give a perfect score to. I'm perfect like, score. well, here it is, I guess, you yeah. know? yeah. It's number one. So it's a recognized Stone Cold classic, and for good reason. This is one of my heavier hitters, one of the, the more recognized albums. I got a lot of albums on this list that don't. A lot of people would, you know, they wouldn't make a, a common top ten list of this period. 
Um, it was an album that's somehow heavily influential on both punk and hair metal, which you would think are diametric yeah. opposite. But <clears throat> well, glam, glam turned into oh, hair no. metal. Pretty, Gla- I know, glam. Well, glam did both though. Yeah, because glam was influential on punk in ways too. It's an True. interesting True. period. True. But the music, the look, the awful haircut, Ugh. the persona, mm. bandex, <laughs> the, the glitter, red high lace, high laced boots, the glitter, the space thing mick ronson sweet sweet <laughs> oh mick mick, th- mick has never been better and that is something yeah well he was also a hunky dory and aladdin sane so I know. let's just um, let's make sure that we're aware of that too it's a classic it's a classic uh-huh yeah yeah all right all right jake Good give it one. to us made Your sense made sense also did stardust so just you know it's not it's not. Uh, my honorable mention is a monolithic rock band at the peak of their powers producing their best album. And that's The Who with Who's Next. E. So hey. is that up to four now? Do we have four albums? I think so, if not five. Maybe just four. Pink uh, Floyd and The Who and one of the John Lennon albums. Yep. Uh, did you mention, did you do Nick Drake? No, but I almost did. No. So maybe it's just okay. three. I mean, kind of the Beatles. I, I should have. I would have done "Let It Be" if I had realized when. Yeah, yeah. Because you, know, you got to talk uh, about the Beatles. Velvet Underground loaded. Too. That's it. All right, so it's basically five, four and a half. We'll call it. Four and a half. Uh, the songs: Baba O'Reilly, Bargain, Going Mobile, Behind Blue Eyes, and Won't Get Fooled Again. And that's like most of the album are like, yeah. undeniably awe-inspiring. It's yeah, that's like three, by length. That's like three quarters of the album. Right yeah, there. but then there's my wife. <laughs> and the song, uh, you know, and the song is over, which I never liked. So they just kind of. I'm right with those songs. The right song is over. It's all behind which, me. Which ironically, it wasn't when he was singing that. No, <laughs> it's like in the middle of the album. It's not over. If you think it's over, you're wrong. <laughs> Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I, oh yeah. Uh, so I those songs just. I mean, if you're gonna be nitpicky, which you have to be with these top ten lists, then that's that's gonna. Uh, push it off for me and then there's the album cover which is the band <laughs> group peeing on a, on the monolith from 2001 a space odyssey i guess what is that, what is that it's thing? gonna be like a, i've been wondering about that it's gonna be like a cement stairway or something like in the a middle s- of rubble like where did they find this thing was a it stairway bombed? a stairway to nowhere in the middle of nothing nowhere i don't know I don't yes know. that they obviously just got done uh, peeing on for some reason all of them at the same time like at least i guess they were on different sides <laughs> like of the monolith. side yeah oh yeah they're on sure sides i mean i one think wait i think way too much about this kind of stuff like who who thought of that you got to get a back in the day you had to get a professional photographer out there you set up all the uh-huh. equipment and then they're like oh, guys. they prob- they probably shot like six rolls of other things of them doing in this rubble well i wonder and then they're like they had to go to the bathroom really bad at the end of the session they peed on it the guy's like snap and that ended up in the cover see you might be right about that except it's more hilarious to think that that was the idea in the beginning <laughs> so they're like the okay guys purpose. guys do hey, you all have you to pee take a picture of us Peeing. Do you all have to pee at the same time? Because we're going to need you all to drink a lot of water or alcohol or whatever. And they're like, alcohol. We'll take the alcohol. Give it to us. And what's funny is that I didn't notice what that was until I bought the vinyl version of it. For years, I thought <laughs> it. I just didn't think about relatively it. Relatively recently, I would say within the last year, you like texted me about it. Yeah. Which I'll admit, I did. I I because I, I don't own it on vinyl at all. But yeah, it's not as obvious on CD. I I owned it for quite a while before I realized what they yeah. were doing. Yeah. It took me. It took for, me years uh, probably and years. for a few years. Uh, and now I wish I could go back to those sweet ignorant times where I <laughs> just thought it was like a. I mean, who cares? I don't. I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> I mean, you don't even uh, think too hard about what album covers are a lot of the time. Yeah. They don't make any- 
Um, and like speaking of bands peeing on things, just kidding. Speaking of monolithic rock bands at the peak of their monster rock powers, my Let's number up. one album is Hit It, Chaz. I, well, I don't know, four probably. Yeah. I don't know. It Which is favorite, Led, but it's gotta be Led Zeppelin. It's Led Zeppelin's technically self-titled, but also numbered, but also not named at all, but also a series of rune symbols somehow. <laughs> it's Led Zeppelin. It didn't have a name for and or Zozo. You can call it any of those things. If you get the if you get the uh, if you buy the album on vinyl, there's no Led Zeppelin is met, uh, mentioned nowhere in the entire thing. It's not on the cover. It's not on the spine. Um, How do you know it actually is Led Zeppelin? Maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's, it's not like, this whole uh, time. Maybe it's just a long, a really long con. Oh, it's go. actually Rod Stewart the whole time. <laughs> you know what? I still love it because I love Rod Stewart <laughs> from only this time period. Uh, this is the coolest, most mysterious, rockinest hard rock album ever made. It spawned the most requested radio song ever in Stairway to Heaven which also doubles as the first challenging song I ever learned on guitar. I don't know if you remember me practicing that over and no over stairway. and over again. No stairway. Denied. <laughs> no way. You can't say that. Uh, I was later disappointed to hear that they probably stole that original riff from another band. They got sued pretty mm. hardcore for that. And I listened to the original version. I shouldn't have done it because, mm. you know, but I did. And I was like, oh, I think they stole it, which is terrible. Not that that band turned it into Stairway to Heaven, but still, it's terrible. Just give them a writing credit. Um, this Go album, yeah, I don't know why they can't do that. Except they probably made like, what, like a hundred million dollars on that song alone or something. That song's no. like one of the most famous ones ever. Uh, it's It rocks so hard that they have the best song ever called Rock and Roll. We already talked about one of the other ones on Velvet Underground's Loaded. They have a song mm -hmm. called Rock and Roll. The drumming's so good that the song Four Sticks is about John Bonham playing the song with Four Sticks. The singing is so good that the Battle of Evermore required two wailing operatic falsetto singers, and only one of them was Robert Plant. They had this crazy wailing falsetto duet on the Battle of Evermore. It's awesome. Um, it's the perfect length with the perfect amount of songs, has a perfect opener in Black Dog, and an even more perfect closer in When the Levee Breaks, which is my number one song of the entire 70s, When the Levee Breaks. Beats Bob O'Reilly, eh? I think so, and I love Bob O'Reilly. Bob O'Reilly's probably in the top five. Mm. Um, it, that one that's the one that features Bonham's uh, infamous drumming atop the stairs in a cavernous mansion that's where they decided to record that one they set up the drums on the top of the stairs it has all these great like <laughs> rock and roll stories it's like perfectly full of excess you know you probably don't want to know some of the stuff that happened when they were recording it but you know just enough to know that it wasn't like eh, it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad but it's like perfect rock and roll and it's also perfectly calm when it needs to be, like with the song "Going to California," which really breaks up the breaks up the the monolithic rockiness. Um, I want to introduce a nice. mental game that I care about uh, to you, Chaz, and maybe maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. Audience, you can do this too. Uh, the The game is where you take one song and one song only off of any given album. Have you ever done this? You don't get to replace mm. you don't get to replace the song with anything. Just take it off. You yeah. take it, but you have to. You can't be like, oh, this yeah. this album is perfect. Um, so like, um, it's easy. Like for me, if I was doing this with who's next, I would take my wife right off of there. Like, get it out of here. And, uh, why do you say it like that? <laughs> because of Borat. It's not like Borat or something. <laughs> I don't even know why that would have anything to do with that. It's the Borat thing. You don't say my, every time you think about my wife, you don't say it like no, that. No, I think head. about my wife. I mean, when you just say my wife, not when you think about your wife. I assume you have no, loving thoughts nope. when you think about your wife. 
Uh, like the song uh, Oh Daddy off of Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, which just is an awful song. Just take Oh Daddy right off there. Get it out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, so on this one, uh, the Led Zeppelin album, it kind of breaks the game because I know not only wouldn't take a song off, but I simply can't take one song off this album. And why it's far and away the best album of the first half of the 70s and the second half, too, in case you were wondering. I'm sure we'll... Oh, well. Uh, we won't get to the best song, best albums of the entire 70s, but I'm sure one day we'll do... We better do 75 through 79. Yeah, yeah. You know? we'll have to, yeah. Otherwise, we'll leave people wanting, and we don't want to do that. No, we don't. But speaking of leaving people wanting, uh, we're taking a break after this. A <laughs> <laughs> short break. Perfect You'll be segue. Fine. You'll be fine. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are so exhausted from our amazing top 10 list that we are taking a month off of Louder Than Sound. That's right. We will be back on whatever date we'll be back because I'm not looking at the dates when <laughs> these are going live right now. Uh, it'll be but the beginning of May. Beginning of May. We will be back after after four weeks off for episode 27 in which we introduce a new theme and that theme will be late bloomers yes albums that we were like only okay worth or maybe straight up didn't like at first and then later on became one of our favorites so jake will be regaling us with his thoughts on an album that i actually got to first wilco is being there Mm -mm -mm. can't wait so we'll see you in one month on louder than sound